Hello, and welcome to Glory Be. Interesting people and how they pray. Each week, we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hanish. And I'm Father Vince Fernandez, and we're joined by our producer, Mike Malcolm. Today's guest is Father Sean O'Brien. Father Sean grew up right here in the Tulsa area at the Parish of St. Benedict's. He attended St. Gregory's University and afterwards went to seminary at St. John Vianney in Denver, Colorado. He then went on to Rome to study at the Pontifical North American College, where he received his STB at the Gregorian University and his licentiate degree in moral theology with a concentration in bioethics at the Alfonsianum. He was ordained a priest in 2016, and he's published in the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly, and he also published St. Alphonse's Guide for Confessors, the first ever English edition of that book. Uh, welcome, Father Sean. Thank you. Good, Good to have to be you here. here. Yeah. Yeah. How was um? How was your How was your pandemic going? Did you do anything? Pandemic. You know, a lot of people are like suffering out there, and like I just had a really nice shutdown and quarantine. I didn't actually go on quarantine ever, but it was just really good. I kind of hate to say that. Right. Yeah. It was very much a piece. Did a lot of reading. Did some gardening. Did you do any? What? Did you take any new hobbies over your the shutdown? Probably not any new hobbies. I uh, my gardening definitely stepped up. My garden never looked so good. But I also have to say this is just my second year having a vegetable garden. Right. So it was kind of fun. But you know, I, I guess I did do a lot with my social media presence. Got that going big time. Like, uh, yeah, just you know, who knew how to do Facebook Live a year ago? Right. Now, <laughs> now every priest seems to know. How. Right. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of what happened. How our podcast got started. It was kind of this need for virtual content right. or some kind of content to reach those who are at home for sure yeah i even did the same thing i was telling you beforehand uh you know i just like i do talks not many people come i started doing facebook live talks and i was like well i kind of got the already digital content i'll just put my talks online on a podcast platform so father sean's podcast it's called <laughs> i was listening to it this morning father vince doesn't like the title of it we could, yeah, we we could work on it. We could, uh, we can workshop a little bit. I think that's the easiest way to find it. You don't have to remember. It. You just have to say, uh, "Well, Father Sean has a podcast." Oh, that's it. Father Sean's podcast. Father that's Sean's it. podcast. Well, it has interesting topics. I mean, the one I listened to because it was, you know, it dealt with bioethics. Fascinating fun fact: back when I was in theology school, I took a class on bioethics. So I'm right. looking forward to. Chatting about that. So nice. you just moved to St. Pius not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Two months. Two months. And you said you have a garden. Where is your garden? So my garden was at St. Anne's. Okay. My garden was at St. Anne's, my previous parish. And at St. Pius, though, Father Bradley, the pastor, he's he said, all right, yeah, you, you want to have a garden? Please go for it. Maybe how about over here? So I kind of got my spot set. I just got to put in the raised bed because I, I just don't want to be shifting around on the ground. And mm-hmm. Plus, like, got to get good dirt. It's all about the good dirt. Yes. Well, walk Jesus down. knows about good dirt, doesn't he? Good yeah. Yes. Like, walk yeah, down the street to dirt. my in-laws, because my father-in-law won, like, the golden shovel for composting here. Well, I know he's got, like, a farm. He's got a yeah. farm. So if you need any help. Yeah. I'll what do to... you grow? Uh, tomatoes, onions, peppers, some lettuce this past year. What else? Okay, the pandemic garden. Pandemic sunflowers? Garden. You draw sunflowers? I did do sunflowers. They were like huge. When I came over one time, they were like the size of my face. Yeah, they were huge. They were big. Enormous. They just like grew from the sunflowers from last year. And I was like, well, I guess I'll put them in a better spot, give right. them a little space. 
and they seem to like it. Yeah. What's well, it like for a priest? Move, you know, you have, you're here for a little bit, and then you move over here. What's the? Is there a hard transition, or is it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough transition because you know the goodbyes are tough. You know, I've I've loved these people for three years there at St. Anne's and still love them, um, but just not around them anymore. I did go back for a trunk or treat, and that was kind of fun to see everybody. Um, but other than that, just kind of like, man, it's just got my roots here. You know, these are people that I've loved and invested in. Um, it's just like, okay, bye, see you later on rare occasions. Oh, yeah. And then starting at a new place, too, is uh, probably could just be totally different for depending on the parish, depending on the priest. For me, it's actually been pretty smooth because things are pretty quiet these days. They got school, school's in, but even that's, you know, pretty pretty chill. They don't have as many extracurriculars just because of corona. And But you know what? The quieter atmosphere has definitely made it easier to transition. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to say that, which is all right. Is it hard to get to know people in St. Pius? It's hard to get to know them. Because of, yeah. It's hard to get to stuff. know them because of the pandemic stuff. You know, I, I see a lot of eyeballs, but I don't see any noses or faces <laughs> yes. or mouths. Can't talk to them after mass and right. stuff. Yeah. Right. They boogie on out. Yeah. But you have to learn, you have to learn Spanish before you went, right? I did learn Spanish. So finished at St. St. Anne's at the end of June, so July and August, I was at St. Thomas More studying up some Spanish. So I didn't go to Mexico, but I went to Little Mexico, which was really nice. And I did some classes in the morning, just like a one-on-one tutoring thing for maybe three hours in the morning. That was really good. Mr. John Boyne, he was my, my guru guide. He was John awesome. Boyne, my family member. I mean, you know, Carrie and Craig Boyne, John Boyne. Oh, yeah. Because yes. Carrie's there, in there. Right, yes. right. And so that was great. That was that was good. He was excellent. Then it was nice to kind of meet some of the, uh, get to know the Mexican priests over there at, at St. Thomas More. Well, I say one was Mexican. The other was from Salvador. Mm. But man, we got a ton of Hispanics in the diocese, and I had no idea. They have mass at, on Saturday evening, 5, 7, and 8.30. Oh, my gosh. And then on Sunday, it was started early, 7, 9, 11, 1, 3, 5, and 7. I think they also got oh seven. And all of that was live during the pandemic? Well, once we got going in, in June and July, or July yes. and August, that was, that was this, this situation, yeah. And you know what? By and large, they were at their one-third capacity. And okay. for some of those masses, they had to find overflow space. Great. Like, wow. we, got, we got so many Hispanics in the diocese, and I had no idea. And it's just two priests serving them. I did my biggest baptism service ever. I think I baptized 11 kids at once. Oh, my gosh. I forget oh, wow. exactly. Wow. It might have been more. In, in Spanish? In Spanish. So you studied in Italy. Does, does that help with, like, were you fluent in Italian? So then you could Definitely easily... Definitely wasn't <laughs> fluent in Italian. I could put together some words sometimes. and Your Italian was pretty good. I remember it was pretty good. And after a year, I could, like, understand my classes. But my first year, I could not. Like, I was not a linguistic person. That was kind of a painful thing. But I tried to put in some practice there. But it definitely helped me with my Spanish now, for sure. But I definitely, I mean, they're so similar. Like, I'd be speaking, like, Spanish, and all of a sudden would slip out some Italian, especially when I first got going in studying the Spanish. So I was like, okay, Italian, you, sorry, Hispanics who are listening, Italian's a more beautiful language. It's a more fun language, but I'm killing it for the sake of the Spanish. Right. You got to so shove it down. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Adios, Italiano. Adios, Italiano. Ciao, ciao, bello. <laughs>
Okay, so the the you know we it's called glory be interesting people and how they pray. So one thing that I think is very interesting about you is that you do have this licentiate in bio well in moral theology with an emphasis in bioethics. How did that come about? Uh, before I finished with my general theology studies, I knew that I would be doing my license, so I kind of wrote a letter to Bishop Slatter, being like, you know, I'm kind of interested in some of these things. I forget what I put now, but like this, that, and the other. And moral theology was one of them with kind of like a, maybe like a twist on spiritual theology so that I can just be kind of like, you know, a master of the science of saints, you know, something like that. And he's like, you know what, I'll I'll honor that request and ask that you also focus on bioethics. I was like, that's different. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I was very nervous because like, oh, there's all these distinctions and what the heck do they matter? Like, I don't get it at all. Like, ah. Like I got enough to like know the basics of it, but but still I was nervous and not terribly exciting. What kind Excited. of classes do you take when you're getting a? Or what is what is bioethics? Yeah. In general? So bioethics is you could also put say to be call it medical ethics, but it includes kind of more broader issues: beginning of life, end of life. You know, nowadays you know we're thinking about vaccines a lot. Uh, so you know the ethics around vaccines. In vitro fertilization, kind of fertility care, abortion would be part of all this stuff. So, would you take a class on vaccines? <laughs> I mean, like what kind of? So, what, so what? like beginning of life was a big class I took. End of life, um, I think another. I had two different classes on end of life. I did one on social bioethics, and I don't think we talked about vaccines in there. But like vaccines could, would easily match that that title of a class. That was actually a super interesting class. Because like, oh, I never thought about some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, was the thought that you would come back and maybe be, are you on a board for St. Francis or St. John's, or would you advise doctors? So I was or? never given a, a concrete plan or a concrete expectation of what th- my bioethic knowledge would would be used for. Practically speaking, I am on the ethics board at St. John's Hospital, and... But a lot of that ethics board is, is geared towards training and educating and forming the minds of the healthcare workers that are there. And me not being an employee, I'm not really engaged in that. So I sit there, though. I sit there. <laughs> so they, w- they, they wouldn't call you and, up if they had a question? They do not. They have kind of an in-house uh, Advisory. ethical counsel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're published in the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. And that, was that your licentiate paper that they... Yeah, that was pretty much uh, a chapter of my license okay. paper. What, so, was, what, was it, what was the thesis for your, your paper? It was, uh, I was looking at just the, the Christian response to all the different like bioethical, no, excuse me, all the different body alterations that we have these days. So, you know, there's, I guess, a number of different categories. There's like cosmetic surgery, and there's all kind of like sexual alterations these days that people are doing. There's kind of the, the more aesthetic body modifications, you know, tattoos or earrings and piercings and all that kind of stuff. And then also, you know, technology being integrated in the body, like talking about cyborgs. Yeah. Wow. That was all in one paper? It's all in one paper. Holy what smart. is Which that? is why I only published a chapter. Wait a minute. <laughs> what is a cyborg? A cyborg is half man, half machine. Like the Terminator. Or if you're or like age, uh, Robocop. The $6 million man, for those who are listening, who might be older. <laughs> Who's that? I know. <laughs> that, I, I know. That reference is lost on me. Well, that's interesting with like body modifications because it is it, like you said, it's like this wide range from like 
you know, tattoos to, you know, really like invasive surgery. What yeah. is there like a, if you could put it into just like a few senses of like, what is, what would be a guiding principle when it comes to like body modifications? It's tricky because, because it was such an ample view. I, I looked at so many different things, but you know what? Our bodies are temples of the Holy spirit. Like, let's not forget, like I am my body. It's not like I have a body. I am my body. Father Vince, if I punch your face, I'm not just punching your face. I'm punching you. Right. So like. <laughs> that know, hasn't happened before. Can FYI. you show us? Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to demonstrate for those who are watching on camera. <laughs> those who are just listening, you'll have to tune in visually. <laughs> but so there's, there's that. But then also, you know, there's no real uh, addressing of changing the body uh, in the Bible. Um. I guess I would also say this is non-therapeutic. Like, if okay. there is a good to be gained right, right. That, that supports the function of the body, well, that's what we call therapeutic. Right, like a transplant or something. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but when it doesn't, then it's optional, and, like, we got to just be very good stewards of our body and not offend God's gift and not... not uh, take it as something just like hey i'm gonna go get a tattoo this week it's like holy cow like you are changing the greatest gift that god has given you your, yourself and this is permanent like you know again like i'm not gonna say like tattoos are immoral but at the same hand like don't get some bad content don't do it if you're gonna like destroy your relationship with your mom if you're because like no i can't do that but and that's just as an example okay yeah because it, yeah, it is such or a Or don't lie. get it on your face, too. Like, because, like, our faces have, like, real... It has even a more special... It's, it's a higher priority of the parts of our body. Because, like, when I look at you, if I'm looking at you, and you got, like, a dragon streaking across your face chasing a little sheep or something like that, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> holy cow, you got to be kidding me. Like, I can't pay attention. That's funny. But if it's, like, a little dove on your wrist that no one's ever going to notice, like... I don't know, it's kind of hard to say that, like, that's such a terrible moral issue. Good luck and going to heaven, stinker. Right, right, right. So, Sharon, you can't get those teardrops near your eye I know, anymore. Like right. it, maybe, <laughs> maybe don't do that. I have threatened my kids, you know, midlife crisis, I'm getting a tattoo. And I'm going to make my whole jo- family get one with me. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just trying to shock them. Okay, the other thing that I thought was interesting that you wrote about were millennials. Are you kind of an expert in... Millennial. I'm not an expert in millennials. You are. In fact, a I think when I told Father Vince I was going to do this little thing, I was going to write on that. Uh, he kind of like laughed at me. He's like, "You're not. You're not very millennial like." <laughs> no, I, I never said that. Maybe it was somebody else. I forget who. Some it was. of the things that you mentioned in your article, though, Father Vince and I have talked about in secrecy. But uh, <laughs> one of the things was exposure to the light. Expo- <laughs> here we are, everybody. Um, that millennials struggle a little bit with authority. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the things you mentioned. Uh, which is ironic a little bit because, you know, being in the Catholic Church, tell, why don't you talk a little bit about your thoughts on... Yeah, so, like, um, your millennials are like, authority, I don't, I, don't, I don't follow underneath anyone. I mean, they're probably raised by the generation. There might be a generation or two removed from, like, Vietnam, but, like, Vietnam was a time where it's just, like, down with authority. And I don't think millennials are quite as, like, antagonistic or aggressive, but... We've kind of like inherited this kind of like hmm, authority. That's nice. <laughs> would you add anything else or? No, I would say the same thing because I like you say that, and I was like, as a millennial, I'm like, yeah, no, I feel that. That's a yeah. real thing. Yeah, it's just like yeah, but I mean, 
So how do you minister to a millennial then? How, how does a, the, Catholic, me. the Catholic... Well, it's just hard to find them. My like, holy cow, they, they're gone. Like so many of them are just gone from the church. Yeah. Right. It's just a total scourge And that's for the part church. of the reason, I think, you know, this sort of... So, I mean, there's a... For us, millennials who are faithful, we do... And, and for future children, for future children, there's a real virtue that we call obedience that is part of the faith. One cannot have faith without the virtue of obedience because we call faith the obedience of faith, that we are recipients, we are receiving something that is given to us as a gift as opposed to, yeah, we're in charge. You're, I'm in charge of my faith. It's like, no, you're in, you ain't in charge of your faith. You're in charge of your reception of the faith, but you don't, you don't get to make calls on like what you believe in. Like Either you're receiving it or you're creating it, mm. and you don't really have the option. If you're a creator, then you're... You know, like I don't know. You're your own pope, but if you are, you're either your own pope or you have a pope. You're either declaring your doctrine or you're receiving declared doctrine, and it's who do you want to trust in? Do you want to trust in like two thousand years of like geniuses and gurus and, and saints, or do you want to kind of wing it on your own? It's just like right. you know, your choice, man. Right, but because uh, it I is that hard. it is that all or nothing reality. I mean, like with the Catholic faith, right? You either. Because I think people can often, especially like young people I know, they, they like to pick and choose, right? Like, I like this about the Catholic Church and what they teach about this over here, but then this over here, I like I don't feel like is right or I disagree yeah. with, you know? And it's hard to like kind of work through that. But you're right. It's like if one thing is true, if you believe one thing is true about the Catholic Church, then, you know, how can they be wrong yeah. in, in these other aspects? But, I mean, this is also not unique to millennials. I think we, we feel it in a unique way. Right. But there was a study that was done kind of recently that that showed that I think it was voters who identified as Catholic and they had like three different age groups and actually those between 18 and 35 were more likely to adhere to all that the Catholic Church teaches right yeah I saw that so kind of oddly enough were the most faithful (laughs) (laughs) but I mean those are the ones who identify as Catholic I was going to say so those those are are it doesn't include the Catholics who are those who grew up Catholic and have now like Mm -hmm. like I'm out Mm-hmm. It would not include those. So I guess maybe it's a little bit more of a purified remainder. Right. Yes. So well, you a lot also, of sadness and all that. You also started um, kind of evangelization program at St. Anne's, right? Oh, yeah. With uh, And that, that had some success, I think. And yeah, I think so. I would say that's like one of the most fruitful things that I've done outside the sacraments. Okay. So it's like every other week, three weeks. Um, I did, we did it two times when I was there. And in fact, they're doing it. They're in the midst of doing it now. I think they're going to have their third meeting oh, next wow. week. But it's just kind of hitting on some of these bigger issues, like you know, how do you how do you love someone uh, with with a heart, with a desire to share the faith with them? How do you how do you listen to them? You know, it's important to ask good questions. What is the basic gospel message? Because you know, a lot of people we grew up in the faith and like, but yet to put together you know a thirty second elevator speech on what Christianity is. Like, who in the world can do that? Mm. Mm. You know, some priest might not be able to do that. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, everyone's got to be able to do that. Everyone's got to be able to do it. There should be no a kid who goes through Catholic schools not be able to do it. There should be no kid who's gone through fifth grade religious education and not be able to do it. Right. Because that would be scandalous. Like, just give me a 30-second summary of your faith. And I don't know. It's like, no, it's not acceptable. And then also there's, you know, we don't often have the opportunity to, to just portray the the message um so clearly like that like well i got four points of of my faith one two three four 
usually it's like, hey, you know, I've been there. Let me, can I share with you my story? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And then boom, testimony. But we not just, we have to be ready to give our testimony, but we also have to be eager to give our testimony. We got to be looking for ways to give our testimony. We got to be looking for opportunities. And so this is just kind of like a, a three, three occasion uh, workshop to, to, to drive people home, to, to help people to, to be more formed in that. So I, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Some of the closest people there at St. Anne's to my, That's awesome. my little heart. Yeah. What, uh, I guess what, you, you know, you said to be able to give your testimony, but also to be eager to give your testimony. What limits people from that eagerness, right? Because at least I know even as a priest, like, yeah, I'll sit next to someone on the plane, I'll have my clerics on, and they, you know, I can feel them, like, staring at me, right? <laughs> yeah. like, and, I, and I was like, this is an opportunity to evangelize, but I... You just got to ask them, what are you staring at? Yeah, what are you looking at? What are you looking at, punk? <laughs> got a problem here? Um, Do you hate Catholics? But no, so what, you know, what, like, what holds us back from that desire to You know, there's, the it's, it's the fear of the unknown, like... Probably most Catholics have never ventured into that unknown. And so they really haven't realized that, you know what? Your typical American is going to be pretty open to converse about that. They're not going to be like, oh, I should probably tell you that I hate everything about the Catholic Church. I want to tell you that up front. It's like, you know, I have never had that encounter. So there's the fear of the unknown. There is the fear of being asked questions. Oh, shoot, they're going to ask me something I don't know. Right. Shoot, dang it. Uh, There's also just... Uh, just the lack of training, the, just the lack of someone saying like, oh, by the way, if you're sharing your faith, this is kind of how you can do it in, a, in an easy, natural way. You know, I'm not talking about sending people to Tanzania or to Zimbabwe or to Thailand or to, you know, <laughs> a lot of Europe now. You know, I'm just talking about like the people that you work with, you know, the people in your neighborhood, you know, as you're trimming your trees, like, hey, look, can you help me out with the trees here? And then be like, hey, yeah, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to Mass. Oh, okay. Have you ever been to Mass before? Like, nope, never been to Mass. Oh, okay. It's just, it's just questions. Questions are a huge thing there. Mm. Having good questions. Well, and I think one of the things that helps with fear would be prayer, which we're going to transition into because we're called prayer. interesting people. It's and the how soul of pray. all ministry. Soul yes. of the apostle. Father Vince and I read this book this past, uh, I guess, since coronavirus. 14, yeah. Soul of the apostle is called. And the soul of the apostle, meaning ministry right. or something of that sort. Yeah. Which would include like parents ministering to their children, absolutely. But the soul of all this uh, responsibility for the faith is is prayer, mm-hmm. and this book has convicted me of it. You know, if I'm not praying, I'm not giving the faith. Right. Yes. It just it's just straight up how it is, and I've never been so convicted in my life about this. Well, totally. What, well, with that, like, how you know, as a priest on the go, you're doing a lot of stuff. You know, how does your prayer life really kind of feed into your ministry? Um, probably in mostly hidden ways that I do not observe. Right. So, so, you know, part of my evening routine, afternoon evening routine is to do a half an hour before the Lord in adoration. And especially since reading this book, you know, if I have like a top talk in the evening or something like that, I'll try to do that prayer before that. And probably try to get some intercessory prayer in that before the Lord. But, but just... You know, I think of Moses. You know, Moses went up that mountaintop, and he had that encounter with the Lord. And he's like, God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. And God's like, you know what? If you did that, you'd be blown out of the water. You'd probably be, like, blown into oblivion. That's not good for you. But what I will do is I'm going to pass, and after I pass, I will say, okay, you can look at my backside. 
And that's what happens. Right. And then Moses is like, oh, well, whoa. And then he goes down the mountain, and his face is glowing, and he didn't know before. His face is glowing. People are like, they were repelled by it. They're like, oh, my gosh, like, we can't stare at you. You, you, got, what, you got God on your face. Like, we can't <laughs> take it. And they required him to put a veil on his face. Like, I, that's what I'm hoping for. Like, I want an encounter with God. Like, I want to live a constant encounter with God so much that, like, I want people to see it in my face. This so is the kind of the hidden way. So what do you do personally? What do How I do? How do you encounter God? What puts that on your face? The first thing is getting to bed on time. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is getting to bed on time. Because for 95% of Christians, if you're going to pray, you got to get your solid prayer time in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that means that I get to bed on time and I wake up on time. And for me personally, and I would say this for Christians, especially, you know, adult Christians, you got to be praying for like a half an hour in the morning, uh, a real meditative prayer. And you can, you know, you have your people you want to pray for, maybe a devotion or two, but like also like give it a half an hour of meditation. You know, you don't have to start with that right off, out, of the, out of the gates, but like start with 15 minutes of just meditating on scripture, just a slow read of scripture. So that's what I do. So I, the first thing I do is... I have my half an hour of meditation in the morning. Um, probably most of my my life in which I prayed, which was not all of my life, I've done Lexio Divina. So it's just a, a, a divine reading of, of Scripture. And I got one passage, and I'm just kind of chewing on that for, for that half an hour. Um, since the summer, I try to do something a little bit different, which is just a nice, slow read of of a sacred text, just kind of straight through. But like really slow, and I'm not like looking to finish it, um, you know. If, but I'm I'm just looking for like content to pray with. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, oh yeah, this is a good nugget here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, you know, I gotta meditate on poor in spirit a little bit more. And then kind of chew on that a little bit. What does that relate to me? And then I kind of move on to the next one. Blessed are those who are meek. And I just kind of walk through it. And you know, if you know, when I when I talk about prayer with people, and, and I say like, hey, you know, this is a legitimate way to do it. But you know what? If in like 30 years you're still not finished with the same gospel, that's awesome because <laughs> you're proving to me <laughs> that you're praying with it. Right. You're not reading it to get to the end. You're, you're reading it for prayer's sake, for union with God. So anyways, got detracted. So I got my half an hour meditation on scripture. I got a half an hour doing my breviary. And probably throughout the rest of the day, I got another 20 minutes doing my breviary, plus or minus, um, that I kind of got to work in here and there. Um, yep. You know, it and sounds like going. I mean, with I got my half an hour later on in the day. We always think like priests, you know, like you. It's easy for you to pray, just like you were saying. Oh, I just do the bravery. I do my how. Anyway, it makes it sound easy for a priest. Um, have you ever had a hard time with prayer? Has there ever been a time in your life that something happened or? Uh, I haven't had like a hard time. You know, I will have to say, just a pure gift from God. I mean, this is kind of how God has worked with me. Just like. Just kind of inspired me with something, and then it's just it's just there uh, in my in my life of devotion, which I'm very thankful for. But at the same hand, like probably most of the time, I'm not like I'm not excited about praying. Like I just right, I, right. the last thing I want to do is just sit there and do nothing. It's not doing nothing. It's doing something more real than everything else. But it's but the reason why I can't experience it so much is because it's not sense oriented. Right, it's, right. It's, it uses my mind, but even still, it's it's much beyond my mind. I can't like grasp a God, so it's just work, and it can be just boring. I don't often have like, you know, really consoling prayers. I just kind of sit there and just pound through my meditation and try to unite my with the Lord's will and 
have his grace do the work for me, but uh, but I try to bring him my best in that time. Um, but it's just work. It's just really the daily grind. For me, the hardest part of prayer is the daily grind because it is just work. It's the most important work that I do, but it, it is just hard. I mean, thanks be to God, I've got, you know, over a decade of, of having real prayer in my life. Um, so it, it's kind of easy to kind of have that groove now, but like, especially if I'm tired, like I didn't have a chance to do like my half an hour of adoration earlier in the afternoon or something like that. It's like, well, is this really what I want to do at 1030 at night? Right. <laughs> the answer right, is no. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But the deeper answer has got to be yes. So I try to get myself to it. Yeah. Well, I know we're about to run out of time and we have uh, a question that we always ask, but before we get to that question, I wanted to St. Alphonsus Liguori is somebody that's important to you. You've written about him. Does he impact your prayer life? He, um, he has written tons on devotional stuff. Uh, I do remember his book on prayer was, was huge for me. Uh, he says, prayer, the great means of salvation is the name of the book. And he says, the one who prays is saved. So as far as, for me, it's, it's rooted me deeper in prayer, but it's also brought to my priority pastoral priority the priority of teaching people to pray mm. you know if i'm doing all this stuff but i'm not like walking with people and how to pray it's just like nice try father sean but no one in your parish is praying right it's just like oh this is kind of scandalous all of a sudden and what the heck have i been doing so it really woke me up to that priority right and, and i think you're right i mean like kind of something you said earlier really struck me in terms of like prayers fruits happen in a very hidden way right how does it feed your ministry well it's like you can't do like a one-to-one ratio. Like, oh yeah, I did this holy hour, therefore this homily was good. Or I did this holy hour and this like talk I gave was good. No, it's like, it's very like immaterial. And I think a lot, for a lot of people that can be dissatisfying, right? Like, like you said, it's not always this like, you know, great consoling reality, yeah. but it, but you recognize. And I think, yeah, as priests, like at least I feel for myself, if I'm not praying, I might as well just like not come out of the rectory, you know, like, <laughs> cause all my, like all my ministry, like, you know, the sacraments still work obviously, but like, it's almost, you know, kind of... Oh. And as a lay frivolous. person, I'm right with you. If I'm not praying, my family knows about it, you know. Right. For sure. The world knows about it. The staff knows about it. It's okay. the means of salvation. And salvation it means is receiving that love of God. I really like that. And people will know if we're praying if we love. People will know if we're not praying if we don't love. Right. Yes. Okay, so we have one final question right. before we end. Um, if you could tell everyone in the world to pray for one thing, what would that be? One prayer intention. Charity. 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 Charity in our world. Especially we are recording this on election day, so charity Charity. is very appropriate. Or the Holy Spirit, you could put that, the spirit of charity. The spirit of charity. Come Holy Spirit. That might be a cheating answer, but I don't know. It's an excellent answer. It's a good one. Okay, so we also always ask our guests to lead us in the glory be. That's how we take our podcast out. It's my honor. Let us pray, recognizing that we are in God's presence here and now as we record this at people's homes or on the road or wherever they may be, that we are in God's holy presence and we lift up our hearts to him with great praise and honor as together we pray, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Glory Be is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm your producer, Mike Malcolm. See you next time.